Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre, Edinburgh. This Grain in the Blood post-show discussion was recorded live in Traverse 1 on November 3rd, 2016. Please note that this discussion contains spoilers. Here is your host, Sullivan Ramsey.
know that uh, what he speaks means birth and film, and that film, I could see it in a, in, with a lot of filmic references, actually, and Hitchcock, Thriller, and of course, you know, Pulp Lobster, and Hunt, and Mississippi Girl, <laughs> and it's, you know, those camp atmospheres, because you don't see it very often on film, um, and it's that slightly other and real, um, and also very classic, actually, in terms of, you know, constructing and discovery in genre, which it definitely is, I think, in what he does with his film, it goes, oh, he discovers different genres, each of his plays, each of what's is entirely different from the one before, but always you've got an examination, exploration between moral questioning and ethical conundrums that invite the audience to put themselves in the subject of the questioning. So for all those reasons, I thought, you know, come and not be there. I must say, it wasn't that devious, the, the, the meeting. <laughs> Um, I had, I, you always have one in your back pocket in case, <laughs> in case the ideas you mention don't light their eyes up. And I could see that there wasn't quite that spark there. So as I was packing up, I thought, well, I'll deploy the back pocket. So it was just, it was, it was there for emergencies <laughs> and I needed it. Our next question comes from Lauren from Twitter. Um, and she would like to ask the cast about what originally drew you to the play and what you I think uh, the question was about the play. Could we start with you? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, the question was about the play. Uh, it left me with a lot of questions. I kind of had this, that's that sinking feeling in my stomach. I was like, oh, I got really hit by it. And I think, um, yeah, it was it was the, the questions that it posed and what it made me think of and who was right and wrong in that situation, what is right and wrong and blurred lines between that. I think I really liked the character of Austin because he, um, it's kind of between these two worlds and has this sort of um, much more clear vision of everything, you know, in Austin's play, I think, and, and he's very direct about it. And I think the directness kind of comes from a, a play and it's everything's so beautiful, but he has this great way of being able to say things as they are and just call people out on things, which is really satisfying as a stage manager actor because you can go into lays <laughs> right through everything, you know, and just take control. Um, yeah, and so it was really lovely to be a part of it. I thought something quite, uh, quite sad and John, would you care to share what drew you to the play and character first? Yeah, well, uh, well I, I love the, the, the style of the writing. I think that was my first comment to Ola when we spoke about it, is how economic the writing is. I mean, he doesn't really, there's, there's no stray words in this play, there's, there's no stray punctuation. It's like, it's right to the point. I mean, I, I've spoke to almost... Um, monosyllabic at times where he's you know, he doesn't say no I don't want to do that he just says no and <laughs> I quite like that and also I could instantly see the uh, the dark humor in it and that is uh, you said a black comedy dark comedy is my my favorite genre and also uh, Ola was talking about uh, the filmic side of it seeing as I spent a lot of the past uh, in television and film it seemed to me a good segue for me to come back into the theater was I could just visualize this straight away. I mean, you could, I think you could see this, you could see this film uh, when you're reading the script. And I thought that was really interesting to do that in the theater. And I really wanted to come back to Edinburgh and work on the drama. And Blake, for you, what were your first impressions of the script? I've always been used to working with new writers and I, I haven't had a chance to work with Rob. Um, I haven't even seen him perform, which is a shame. 
Um, we need to rectify that, yes. <laughs> I have a, a, a separate performance for me. <laughs> um, but I, I like, uh, with whenever I look at a script and I see a lot of white on the page, uh, I'm always drawn to it. I, I feel as if the, the it leaves a lot of space for the actors to, to create that mood and that tone. And I think that that's something very clear. If you were to look at your play text, which I know you've all bought, <laughs> um, if you've not, you can get them outside. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, there's a lot of white on the page, and I'm always drawn to that. Um, but I, I think something that's really nice about being an actor is it takes you into another world. And I've never played a vet before, um, and I had the chance to speak to a vet who came in into the production to just give us some thoughts. And you find out about people's worries that you would never have the opportunity to do. You can ask the questions that probably wouldn't ever been asked before. So. You know, and something that I found was extraordinary um, is the fact that, that vets can operate on people, but doctors can't operate on animals, <laughs> which is amazing. And I was thinking, you know, I said to him in a very surreptitious fashion, could, <laughs> could you maybe operate on somebody? Do you think? He went, yeah. Really, you know, so it gave me a lot of comfort yeah. that, um, that Sophia probably could manage to to do this operation. So for lots of reasons, that, that became something in the rehearsals. But previous to that, it's a sort of timeless piece. It could be any period. It could be anywhere in the world. And I love that. I, it could be the Midwest. I was reading it first originally in the States. And I have family over there, and it could have been Idaho. They were saying, you know, this is so clearly, it, it's kind of, it, it sets an atmosphere. You don't quite know. You can't quite work out the period of it. Um, and there were a couple of bits that were taken out, I think, originally in the script that, that identified the, the place a wee bit more and we've kind of tried to strip that back. And I think that's been really important. And also, just as a final thing, there's a, there's a brilliant picture in the front of Rob's script that was um, the, 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 the painter, the artist, Andrew Wise. Um, and it's of this little girl sitting in this cornfield. And it just, it summed it up. It just, you know, it spoke to me about that one, that one moment, that one artist's painting summed up this whole script. Um, and you should have a look at that online if you get the chance. It's extraordinary work, but you'll see characters that just, that I think you then drew inspiration from, um, really rooted women and females who were out in this, you know, this really extraordinary landscape, this incredible, and I could see that in Rob's script very clearly, and she rooted as well. Um, Andrew, for you approaching the script at first, how how was that as a process? It's a really interesting character mm -hmm. um, in terms of his journey. Yeah. Well, when I read the script, uh, John and uh, Sarah's wife had said that I saw it immediately, uh, and I think that's always a, a great sign um, for a story that needs to be told. And if it can um, stimulate your imagination as an actor, then <coughs> you're on to a winner. And it did for me. I read it once, then it. Uh, the time flew in, so I knew that I had to. Uh, I knew I had to be seen uh, <laughs> for it, uh, and I'm so glad that I got a chance to be a part of this amazing project. And Isaac <coughs> is a very uh, contradictory person, and I quite enjoy messing with the audience a bit um, because you don't really, you can never really suss him out right up until the end. And I think I really enjoy that because I think that is truthful what he's went through and how he's had to adapt and similar to, to Blythe uh, Beck came in we had a, a, a John and I met with a, a, a gentleman who has worked with um, 
prisoners and was in prison himself. And this was in the rehearsal process, of course, but it, he talked to us about what life is like in, in prison. Uh, and it was so illuminating for both of us. We it sort of changed our whole um, mindset towards what prison does to people uh, and how it changes you. And someone described it, prison as uh, prison as a hole in your life. And I think that is so true. Um, and that is very interesting uh, and quite hard to, to face up to, but I'm, I'm lucky I get to do this in front of you lot. I don't have to experience it properly, <laughs> but it's, um, it's been an amazing experience to, to prepare for that and, and to craft that character. Um, it's been a, a real privilege. And Franco, for you, um, with Violet, what was it originally you found exciting about that character? And well, when I first got the call from my agent to tell me that I had an audition for this, I um, I was running on my way to see things, so I was very excited because I saw that it was a cover. But I, I, sc I scanned through, through the pages to see where I'd arrived. And the first <laughs> line was, it was just like, it's Violet. Violet sits at a table polishing a shotgun. <laughs> and I thought, yes. <laughs> so then later that night when I had time, I read the full script. And yeah, completely and utterly sold, really. And I remember being really, for a, the first time in a while maybe, since reading a script, there were tears in the back of my neck again. I was really excited about it. I was kind of charged about it. And I went to the audition and was realising how moved I was, I was unpleasantly moved by it when I read it the first time and that was it, I was kind of sold on it and it, 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 we'd come at the audition and we kind of thought we, we didn't really know what people were going to bring or what, what and I was like well I don't I'm not a fan, I know nothing about any of that I'm totally You were kind of still writing the, writing the script Yeah, yeah. so, so that was nice because we could, yeah. it was just what would, we, what would we bring so we tried mm. certain things that mm. we might bring and that kind of came to work and so I was very, very lucky such a complex kind of sexy <laughs> mental <laughs> brilliant human <laughs> so yeah it was nice that's why they got you yeah. <laughs> 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 um, our next session is from a pupil from um, St Andrews High School um, and they would like to know it's kind of a question for all of you um, the way that the play uh, deals with kind of um, moments of silence and moments of tension how was that explored in the rehearsal room? How did you kind of first begin to explore where the words come and where the tension lies? Ola, would you like to kind of start with your approach to that? Sure. Well, it's very descriptive where the pages of silence, the beats are. They're descriptive purposes of explore of um, not just very specific punctuation, but they are um, uh, instructions about so it's it's not anything we impose on the on the crew. It's what it's what was the intention. Of if the anything, it's about finding the ones that could go. Yeah, about taking because there were too out. many of them. Yeah, but I'm um, but my taste is very much. Uh, I mean, you know, despite being rescued or in the writer's room, collective in the writer's room, I'm very interested in silence and stillness and in the eloquence of that and in what isn't said in any subtext. Um, and I think you you can most clearly read that when people are quite still, <laughs> but it's all in there, and it's something that I talk to people a lot about. The trust that we have workers to put on their face, the character study, all that deep work that these actors have done is all in that vibration of silence. It's nothing to do with the actors, really. 
that caused the funeral, um, especially for Jonathan, because he was keeping it inside, but he thought if I painted it, it's going to cut like people are very careful in compositions and so so you can see the people behind and that's actually where they got the attention now in the space between them so that easy for them to be close and then usually again in terms of blocking in terms of where you put people people tend to be all the way around the edges of the space very rarely in the center which again is you know very counterintuitive people like people yes it's really good fun to put people right in the middle <laughs> it's a dead center but they tend to, for safety, I think, is to scoot back so you can see where everyone else is. And then you choose very carefully to be when you go to be near to the interviewer. Um, but and that's quite rural, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. that, that distance between people is, um, is not a city thing. It's a rural thing that, uh, that when you have to communicate, you almost have to, to speak ac across a landscape or a you know, that you may be battling with wind or whatever. So it seemed to it seemed to sit quite well with that distance and it, it didn't ever feel whenever they were close, if they ever tried to you know, to, to kind of meet, it, it it felt wrong. And the same with um Rob's script, interestingly, anytime we thought we don't need that line, we would say, you know, should we nip that? Should we we would bring it back because it kind of the rhythm the rhythm just changes. seemed to be too the rhythm is a really important one there. A lot of the silences come when a character is suddenly emotionally hit, like in the first scene when um, <coughs> Sophia says to her, "Has ever, ever happened to you before?" Alluding to the fact that uh, you know he's once a prisoner escaped and murdered a, you know his his daughter, and so as soon as she says, "Has, has it ever happened to you before?" to Bert, Bert's like, <coughs> stuck, silence. So the silences are the ones that work, the ones that kept in, are ones like that. I think that the, you just. There's nothing to say mm -hmm. until you find something else to say. Mm -hmm. Sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, our next question is uh, from some grade secondary school, and they are wondering what do you think the message of this play is? Rob. Well, I try not to. Uh, when I'm writing, I try not to have a message so much as a question, <laughs> um, and the message, whatever that might be comes through asking the question. And so the question for this was, quite simply, is it ever possibly right to steal a kidney? Very simple. <laughs> <laughs> and by placing that question on stage and trying to convince you that Sophia and Violet were even a little bit correct in what they did, you can make up your own moral. So I don't need to tell you what the moral is. I just need to ask you an interesting question. Mm. And if there's any... That, that's what I tell writers when they ask me, like, what's the most important thing about writing? It's having a question. And so when I'm writing a new play, I have the question written above my laptop on my wall. So if I get stuck, I can just look up and go, right, right that's what I'm trying to, to answer. Um, and if you're constantly remembering what the question is, it's like an essay. You can't write an essay without referring back to the question. Um, <coughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know how I got there, but that's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> Very good school-based answer as well. I'll be writing tricks yeah. as well. Um, cool. And our lovely question from a school, uh, St Thomas of Aquins. Again, another question for our whole cast. And they're wondering, what were the biggest challenges you faced in the rehearsal room in bringing the script to life? Uh, working with John Meeker. Everyone's enthusiasm of challenge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I... I uh, oh. um, <laughs> that's true, that's true. That's <laughs> no, uh, uh, for me, I think um, it 
was the silent, you know, uh, letting it all sit within you, all the work that you do, and trusting it. Um, and all is completely, totally, uh, totally right about the fact that we read subtext through stillness, and um, you don't need to prove anything. And I think uh, sometimes as actors, we feel like we have to show everything, mm. and it, you know, the audience is always a step ahead anyway. So you just have to keep things back. I think that's uh, a challenge, um, I find, just to let things... It's a nice edge, though, between, mm. between, yeah. between spoon-feeding an audience and telling them too much they feel offended <laughs> and not giving them enough so they yeah. feel lost. Yeah. Yeah. So you're trying to get that just, just right, and yeah. the process of doing that is writing a first draft that's like 120 pages mm -hmm. and then editing it mercilessly yeah. till you've gone too far and then finding the, the middle ground. And are there any cast members have any thoughts on kind of how the spoon feeding progressed through the rehearsal process and what challenges they faced? I think the challenge that Orla kept on placing upon us, I, I think, was to find find lightness and deftness mm. and humour and keep it bright. Mm. And every time we came on to to um, start a new scene, to bring a different energy to it. But it was over the process of you know, apart from Buck and Sophia's scene at the start, it's over a long weekend, and so you know. To every time we come onto the stage to bring in a new energy and, and that's been quite I think that's been really quite hard and also to mm -hmm. find a lightness to some of these really really heavy moments in it um, where your instinct is to kind of play the line and in an actual fact it's almost to, to, to not play the line to just actually to play the, the to find lightness within the situation because it's a dark dark subject mm -hmm. so you know to, to kind of find that was quite a challenge I think and not to play the end, I think, as well. Because yeah. when I read it into rehearsal, we knew, like you say, we'd dug into it and, and the noise of it and the fact that it was quite dark and it was, I think, quite a challenge not to to play what we knew was coming and, and the sort of the end, the climax at the end um, and to just be in the moment and, and discover how you can actually get there. Like, it, for me, it was about, like, I, I knew at the end, often we're going to decide who's going to want to live, but it was not to give away, to, uh, explain some structure, things about that and why I suggested things about that. I mean, just making sure you get to that thing and you don't sort of jump ahead in your... Well, at this point, I'd like to open it up to our own one hand went like boom straight away. Um, but uh, just to um, to follow on, um, we'd like to open it up to the audience. So, any questions you have, or any comments, or things you're not quite sure how to phrase into a question yet, but would like to say out loud. Um, if we could ask, if you just pop up your hand, when you ask the question, I'm just going to repeat it um, just so that we can pick it up on our mics. Um, so, first hand up. So the question there, I'm going to kind of paraphrase slightly, your beautiful words. Um, so uh, we're asking Orla how she feels as a director um, leaving this play after the process of development and um, maybe an unresolved ending as a, as a director. How does that feel for you? You just toured it. 
Take it to the Solve States. It. Okay, I'm done. Uh, well, I think there's sort of the there's always a melancholy for me about the work because it's going to end and it is ephemeral. It doesn't it doesn't survive past its final mark. So I'm always I'm I'm always slightly grieving <laughs> the fact that I will say goodbye to it, and it will be just a finite life, not to be used for a more appropriate figure to him, in three dimensions. Um, of this play that I think I missed. I miss this company of actors. They are an extraordinary, connected, open, uh, full of good humour. We've had such a laugh on this play. Yeah, so I miss their company and I miss their sort of deft interaction. It's been a real pleasure to be with them. And there's something about this play that isn't potentially very fashionable in that it's sort of classically constructed as a studying genre. It has moments of high drama and tension. It twists and turns. It's um, quite fun-filled. And I've really enjoyed building that world, actually. I've really enjoyed building that world. And that, that you've really pushed it. Um, that when you've seen an idea through really confidently, um, and I'm not sure if, that's, if I'm being entirely eloquent such a joy to really go there with something. Yeah. To really go there and say, look what they're doing. <laughs> and they're really doing it. <laughs> like they're really doing it. And what happened next? Um, and I, so I think that would be my, and, and I said there's something, and to go back to beauty, the, the, the sound of this show, I think, mm. is really, and there's all the sound of screen, but this music has been composed for this show. And we don't hear it again. Mm. <laughs> so it's those kind of sort of sensual, mm -hmm. But the actors always feel bereft the first time the director doesn't come in. Mm. <laughs> and there's a kind of strange feeling of, we talk about the grown-ups, there's no grown-ups in tonight. <laughs> so there's a kind of weirdness the first time that the director leads you to get on with it. There's a kind of, oh, you know, <laughs> it, it's a bit scary. So we missed you about three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> but it is one of the really lovely things in, in our office, because we talk so much um, collectively about how our work's going to get staged from kind of day one, the way that this play, or the way we spoke about it, was that we wanted to set Rob this challenge of like a big trad one play that is all very meaty and is almost kind of cinematic in its scale and in its, its depth of its storytelling. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting yeah. thing to see that come through and the challenge, challenge mm. accepted and challenge accepted. <laughs> well, the word confidence, as it were, is, is exactly what I think when I watch the cast doing it, because it's not going to be to everyone's taste. The style is very specific and very confident and you guys just do it without apology, and that's mm -hmm. what I like about it. Um, you're not kind of going half the way there, as you say, you're yeah. going the way they were. Do we have any other questions? Uh, there is a gentleman at the very, very back row. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, we can. Can you hear us with the air conditioning? Just about, we'll okay. try and keep it up.
years and years and years. That was lovely that uh, both Mother Bert and Isaac were going to bed. They had like they kind of almost won that thing where they got the chess to kind of settle themselves. And then as the play went on, everyone relaxed and there was less of that, except for the final confrontation whenever everyone became a robot again. <laughs> and I don't know if that's one of the things, of course it was on purpose. <laughs> Now the beginning, the opening line is, there's shit everywhere, so the, the, they, they kind of are stuck in the shit at the beginning of the show. So yeah, and then they, they do loosen up and come full circle again. Yeah. Thank you. Do we have any other questions? Hello, person with the check shirt. So our question there was uh, why the casting company think that there might not be so many plays made in this style and genre in contemporary new writing theatre. I don't know. I just wish there were. <laughs> I mean, it's great, it's great to read something like this and you get a chance to, to do it. And the audiences seem to be loving it. We love doing it. So uh, what do you want spread the word, mate, or write another one? <laughs> I think also what's interesting about seeing it all the way through an hour and a half or an hour and 25, um, it's almost like watching a film in that way that, you know, it, it plays out and to have an interval in it would be something strange. So I think actually the time scale that it takes and the beats in it are very, very, um, you know, that are a natural thriller and it twists and turns. You know, if you think about the fact that in the last scene, oh, this might be a spoiler, if anyone's not seen it, sorry if you're listening. <laughs> somewhere out there in um, the, it, the, but the last <laughs> scene at some point you know they can be kissing at one point and then we all know what happens at the end so you know that it can it can move mm -hmm. within almost sort of seven minutes mm -hmm. the audience can be watching and believing that that's happened for for you know for real mm -hmm. and then you know to have it be twists and turns at the end without being a spoiler um, <laughs> is quite extraordinary. Mm. Maybe it's just not very fashionable to I write a play like this. Yeah. Mm. I think it's, I think it's, it's just out, out of fashion. About the zeitgeist and what a yeah. playwright yeah. is and mm -hmm. what it means to yeah. make new work. But there's something about the old-fashioned art of playwriting that isn't particularly in vogue, maybe. But after being... story with the beginning, middle, end. Yeah. Mm. This kind of full of classic construction. Mm. It's, you know... It was fun to do after doing shows like Infidelity sure. where I'm in them and I've yeah. got mm. audience members dating yeah. on stage to then go... <laughs> To then go and do the uh, just a well-made play, <laughs> <laughs> just go do a well-made play, yeah. um, and I just like a story. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I, I can't kind of old-fashioned in my taste, so I, yeah. I, I like a good story, like you know Hitchcock, as you mentioned already. Mm, just yeah. Yeah. I think we've got time for about another two questions. So the, uh, the person up here with the red jumper on, yes, that is you. <laughs> <laughs> So our question there was talking about uh, the idea of the kidney-stealing narrative coming into this mythological world and how did that develop? I'm trying to remember. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think it was to do with 
the idea of writing, at first I thought I wanted to write a horror on stage, and then it, it became a thriller. So I think the element of that horror is, you know, a rural countryside place with, with um, a bit like Wicker Man, you know, like a community that someone that Bert goes into that's not of his world. Um, and so I started, I think the first draft was much more horror. Yeah. The grandmother was in it. Yeah, the grandmother appeared in the like, character. Like, like, like the woman in black, you know. Um, and then, yeah. Um, and as I say, the fir- yeah, your first drafts are always crap, you know what I mean? Um, and then you work out what you need and what you don't need. And we definitely didn't need the grandmother, that would have been too over the top. But the remnant of her that's still in there, we need, I think, uh, an echo of that first draft. But then also you've got a line which doesn't ever appear and it doesn't happen on stage, which was in our, in our script, was that the last moment was a little hand <laughs> comes out yeah. and takes the green dolly away at the end, which we, d- <laughs> we never ever even explored that. But that was just a notion that was just a wee <laughs> back of our head. <laughs> 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 I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I always thought that the, uh, the religious side of it was an indictment on religious indoctrination really mm-hmm. that uh, yeah. that's the reason that yep. uh, Isaac you know kills yeah. his girlfriend through the verses and through through, yep. through acting out a, re- a religious ceremony mm-hmm. yeah. no it wasn't where I started from but no it but that's I think, yeah. I think that, that answered your uh, mm-hmm. your question but um, uh, that, that's how I saw yeah. it aloud mm-hmm. yeah the yeah. power of power of religion I suppose that's the right. danger the danger of fundamentalism yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, because it is interesting in like your original script you had a bunch of um references to like Richard Dawkins and Brendan. Yeah, there was oh that's right, but that yeah, th- th- there was there was a Violet, no Vicky as she was called at the time, had a Twitter spat with Richard Dawkins and one that's so bad. <laughs> she came in and was like, She just or was it you? I don't one of you had just discovered Twitter. <laughs> They started, they started fighting with Dawkins. Is that why the double glazing line's still there? <laughs> 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 we're uh, yeah. advanced. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> it's interesting to see how that such a, a well, specific reference has become much more yeah, ingrained. I, mean I was just doing a workshop today with yeah. writers, and that's what you, you start with everything on the page, even the bad ideas, and then you delete a load of things, and you're left with the remnant of the idea. But not the actual Richard Dawkins. The lady in the white, you were you were keen for a question. I just wanted to dance question. Um, but I wonder if there's any gun loaded. Oh. <laughs> You're no. asking if the gun is loaded at the end. Do you think it was <laughs> loaded at the end? But she could have loaded it in the end for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think if whether it's loaded or not, it's quite an interesting uh, double bluff. If it's not loaded, then what are they going to do? What if are they going to do? If but it's not loaded, Bert wins. Yeah. Because he's yeah. about to step forward and take the gun. That's true. If it is, Bert's dead. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying it's loaded. You're saying it's loaded. I don't know. Yeah. I'm playing it like it's loaded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel Violet feels like she's going to kill him. Maybe um, she was lying at the beginning. Yeah. Maybe lying at the beginning about it being unloaded. Yeah. 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 But, but we didn't have a gunshot. No, we didn't have a gunshot that was taken out. Yeah. Mm. In the, the first, first scene, it's like the shell. Had a gun. 
it mm. then frees you of some shit then also at the end of this round. Yeah. And Andy Owen would say, oh, I'm not sure about that now, am I? Brilliant. We are pretty much out of time, but if we have oh. any burning questions, do we have one more? Oh. Yes, up at the back. What do you think? We're not telling you. Our question <laughs> is, what do the cast and creative team think happens after the play, after the lights go down? What happens? What, what did you think? Grab the gun off him and passionately kisses him. <laughs> get it in! <laughs> and they get and they get married. Yeah. And autumn lives. We've talked quite a lot about you know what we you know uh, what would we think if we actually saw it through to its conclusion, and uh, and the dark I think Rob's brought out a dark side to my mind because of course, <laughs> so let's say that the gun is loaded. That has happened. I'm trying to keep Isaac alive. I go next door to make sure that Autumn's ready for her operation. Find that she's died. Uh, I come back through. We've now got my son who's kind of, you know, we've got a, a dead man. So we've still got a gun, so we put the gun into Isaac's hands and we say that, that's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this <laughs> 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 that's amazing. Yeah, did you see it? it was my son, but naturally, well, that, that's worse than Richard Dawkins. <laughs> <laughs> we do have one more question. This will be our final question for this evening. Hello, sir. <laughs> so our question there was, is it significant that Violet will, won't shoot the horse Lila, but would shoot Bert if Well, it's only you. Well, it's only you. Yeah. <laughs> That's your impression. <laughs> Francis, what do you think? I think, that, <laughs> I think that's very interesting because she cannot, she can, I mean, she can kill lambs, she can do pretty much a hell of a lot of different things, but I do think she has difficulty um, with taking someone's, well, taking an animal's life in that way, and also for, especially tonight, I thought it was very emotional, actually, listening to tonight's film, um, because I felt like we were kind of, every night is different, obviously, because we're all, it's always organic, and it's always like, you never know quite what's happening, so tonight I really felt like, oh my gosh, I'm going to actually have to kill the man that I potentially could fall in love with, and it's, so it's charged, it's always charged, and I think, but equally, my, everything that each of the characters are trying to do the right thing that's what they're trying to do the right thing so at the end of the day i want autumn to live so it's that oh it's that that's what the play's all about all that in between stuff so i think it is significant that she didn't kill lila and she but she might have to kill bit she um there's a clue in the line that she says um we've had that horse since mm. and i think the end of that line is since my mum was alive 
or something. Mm. So I think that's there's an emotional link to the horse and yeah, her, her yeah. I, I always imagine. Well, since her daughter, her sister's my alive. sister, right. we, got yeah. the, yeah. we got the horse when Summer was little. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. all these yeah. kind of things that they connect. It's yeah. back to connections in my own yeah. my own family who are not no longer with me really. I think it's also interesting that they talk about in the really old horse saying that the kind of thing that was often uh, done to try and keep making love and that kind of explains the thing is because they were interested yeah. in it. Mm. So on that note, um, I think uh, we have run out of time now, so we will have to bring tonight's discussion to an end. But we would like to thank you guys so much um, for choosing to stay behind here at the Travis Theatre. We really, really believe in having conversations and discussions with our audiences, so it's an incredibly important part of our programme to allow these opportunities to happen. So please do come back to these types of opportunities. If you have a question you haven't had the opportunity to ask, you can tweet us or Facebook us because of technology. Um, but I would like to say thank you again to the cast and thank you again to yourselves. Have a good night. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.